Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR Publications. You can learn more on our website, sirweb.org slash kinkedwire. This episode provides audio abstracts of papers published in the February 2023 issue of SIR's Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology. You can find the full papers on jvir.org. My name is Daniel Kim. Hello, my name is Shalom Mamet, and I'm a first-year medical student at the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University. I will be reading the abstract titled, A Review of Professional Liability in Interventional Radiology, Sweeping the Minds by Kumari and Colleagues. Medical professional liability, or MPL, is becoming a substantial issue in interventional radiology, with both impact on healthcare costs and negative psychological effects on physicians. MPL presents special challenges within IR because of the field's complex and innovative therapies that are provided to a diverse group of patients and complicated by the off-label use of devices and drugs that is pervasive in the field. This review discusses the principles and practices to avoid and manage MPLs that are specific to the field of IR. Hello, my name is Nadir Ashar Fawzi and I am a final year medical student at Al-Faisal University College of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract title, Portal Vein Recanalization for Non-Serotic Portal Vein Cavernous Transformation, Transjugular Intrahepatic Portosystemic Shunt Creation versus Portal Vein Stent Placement, by Wei and colleagues. Purpose To compare the clinical outcomes of Transjugular Intrahepatic Portosystemic Shunt, or TIPS, creation, versus Portal Vein Stent, or PVS, placement in patients with non-serotic cavernous transformation of the portal vein, or CTPV. Materials and methods. In this retrospective study, clinical data from patients with non-serotic CTPV who underwent TIPS creation or PVS were compared. A total of 54 patients, consisting of 31 men and 23 women, were included from January 2013 to January 2021. 29 patients underwent TIPS creation and 25 patients underwent PVS. Tent occlusion, variceal rebleeding, survival, and post-procedural complications were compared between the two groups. Results. The mean follow-up time was 40.2 months in the TIPS group and 35.3 months in the PVS group. The stent occlusion rate in the PVS group was significantly lower than that in the TIPS group during the follow-up. The cumulative variceal rebleeding rates in the TIPS group were significantly higher than those in the PVS group. The procedural success rate was 69% in the TIPS group and 86% in the PVS group. There was a higher number of severe adverse events after TIPS than after PVS. Conclusions Portal vein recanalization with PVS may be a preferable alternative to TIPS creation in the treatment of non-serotic CTPV because of higher stent patency rates, lower risk of variceal rebleeding, and fewer adverse events. Hello, my name is Daniel Kim and I'm a fourth-year medical student at Edward Via College of Osteopathic Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled endovascular lymphatic decompression via thoracic duct stent placement for refractory ascites in patients with cirrhosis, a pilot study by Gelfi and colleagues.
purpose, to evaluate the technical and clinical success of endovascular lymphatic decompression via thoracic duct, or TD, stent placement in patients with cirrhosis with refractory ascites. Materials and Methods Nine patients who underwent TD stent placement for refractory ascites with contraindications for liver transplantation and transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt creation were included in this retrospective study. TD stent placement was performed under local anesthesia using retrograde access from the venous system. Self-expanding stents from 5 to 8 millimeters in diameter were used and extended into the subclavian vein by approximately 1 centimeter. Technical success, defined by correct positioning of the stent, and clinical success, which was defined by no more requirement of paracentesis, were evaluated. In addition, the safety of the procedure and TD pressure evolution were evaluated. Results. The technical success rate was 100%, and three patients reported clinical success. Five patients reported seven grade one minor adverse events, among which two TD perforations were induced by stent angioplasty, with no clinical manifestation or treatment required. The median TD pressure decreased from 19 milliliters of mercury at the beginning of the procedure to 6 milliliters of mercury after TD stent placement. The median survival time after the procedure was 7.1 months. Conclusions Endovascular lymphatic decompression via TD stent placement is feasible and safe and was effective on ascites in some patients with cirrhosis with refractory ascites. Hello. My name is Siddhi Hegde, and I'm a research fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital. I will be reading the abstract titled, The Effect of Protective Coil Embolization of Penile Anastomosis During Prosthetic Artery Embolization on Erectile Function, a propensity matched analysis by McLean and colleagues. Purpose, to explore whether coil embolization of penile collateral arteries to prevent non-target embolization during prosthetic artery embolization, or PAE, negatively affects erectile function. Materials and Methods Retrospective analysis was performed on a prospectively maintained multi-center PAE database on all patients with benign prosthetic hyperplasia from January 2014 to July 2016. International Index of Erectile Function, or IIEF5, scores were collected at baseline and within 12 months after the procedure. A logistic regression and nearest neighbor propensity match analysis match for age, baseline IIEF5 scores, and use of 5-alpha reductase inhibitors and paired T-tests were used to evaluate for differential impact on IIEF5 scores between the group of patients who underwent unilateral penile collateral coil embolization and a match control group of patients who did not. Results Of a total of 216 patients, 26 underwent coil protection of an accessory pudendal vessel or penile collateral. After exclusions, 22 propensity match pairs were identified. The mean IIEF5 score at baseline for the coil embolized group was 14.8 plus or minus 8.3 out of a possible score of 30, and that for the match control group was 14.0 plus or minus 7.8. At the 12-month follow-up after the procedure, the mean follow-up IIEF5 score was 15.5 plus or minus 8.0 for the coil embolized group and 14.2 plus or minus 8.2 for the match control group. The change in IIEF5 scores after PAE was not significantly different between the two groups. Conclusions When penile collateral arteries were identified, protective coil embolization of penile collateral or accessory pudendal vessels during PAE was unlikely to affect erectile function negatively. Hello, 
My name is Andrew Han, and I am a third-year medical student at Liberty University College of Osteopathic Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled "Gunther Tulip Filter Strut Penetration: Benign Long-Term Follow-Up" by Hoffer and colleagues. Purpose: to describe the natural history of Gunther Tulip Filter or GTF strut penetration based on the CT documented distance penetrated over time and any clinical manifestations. Materials and methods. The records of 203 patients who had had an infrarenal GTF placed for venous thromboembolism, with contraindications to anticoagulation and had CT follow-up, were reviewed retrospectively for clinical or imaging evidence of complications. Filter strut penetration was measured on axial images from the outer caval wall to the inner edge of the distal end of each strut. Filter strut behavior over time was modeled using a linear mixed model. Results. The extent of penetration correlated positively with filter dwell time, but plateaued at 3.3 millimeters at 10-year follow-up. At median 4.7-year follow-up, 79.3% of patients had at least one strut that was greater than 0.2 millimeters, and 31% had a strut greater than 3 millimeters from the inferior vena cava wall. The extent of strut penetration was greater at all time points for women. Abutment or entry into an adjacent structure was identified in 183 struts of 105 filters. Of the 80 filters with CT follow-up, 47% showed progression and 19% regressed. There were no symptoms referable to filter strut penetration. Conclusions: GTF struts often penetrate the inferior vena cava progressively. However, this tends to plateau by 10 years. The limited long-term progression and a very low incidence of symptomatic complications together support a non-interventional approach to the finding of an asymptomatic GTF strut penetration. Hello, my name is Bridget Kowalczyk, and I am a fourth-year medical student at St. Louis University School of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled "Outcomes After Transgastric Drainage of Pancreatic Duct Leaks" by Hung and colleagues. Purpose: to determine the outcomes of transgastric drainage or TGD of pancreatic duct leaks or PDLs, including fluid collections and pancreaticocutaneous fistula, or PCFs. Materials and methods: 54 patients who underwent attempted TGD of a PDL from 1992 to 2020 were identified. Data regarding patient comorbidities, fluid collection characteristics, technical success. Drain exchanges and removals, recurrent collections, and complications were analyzed. Results: 41 patients had a history of pancreatitis. 16 patients had a history of recent abdominal surgery. Peripancreatic fluid collections were 11.2 centimeters plus or minus 4.6 in greatest dimension prior to drainage. 21 collections demonstrated biochemical and/or imaging evidence of an active communication to the pancreatic duct. And 16 of these patients had a PCF due to a direct percutaneous drain prior to TGD. TGD was technically successful in 53 patients. During the follow-up period, 46 patients were able to undergo drain removal after resolution of the fluid collection, with a mean catheter indwelling time of three months and a medium of one catheter exchange. There were two severe and four moderate complications. The most common of which was drain dislodgement requiring repeat transgastric puncture. Recurrent fluid collections were observed in eight patients after a mean of five months following drain removal. There were no recurrent PCFs. Conclusions: TGD of PDLs is technically feasible and efficacious in the vast majority of patients with a relatively low complication rate. This technique is effective in preventing or treating the long-term debilitating complication of PCF. 
We thank all the medical students who helped with this episode. My name is Daniel Kim, and I was your audio editor for this episode. The research from this episode appears in the February 2023 issue of JVIR, and you can visit jvir.org for the full papers, other audio content, and much more.